terms of the deal are being all-powerful, he'll provide what I need if I stay close to him and perform his work well. And I call this the, the pivot point in Alcoholics Anonymous because everything in the book up to this leads to this point, and everything that we're going to encounter from here moving forward refers back to this point. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Yowza, yowza. That was the voice of Mr. Charlie P that you heard again at the beginning of this episode. And you're going to hear so much more from him in just a moment on this here episode number Dos Uno Dose 212, 212 with Mr. Charlie P. But first things first, this episode is brought to you by Anthony and Ian and Anna and Todd and Terry and Kurt and Josh and Jason, Jason, excuse me, and Sean. Oh, I just had a little moment there. Sean was the name of my, uh, half-brother who unfortunately died um, at 27 years old due to this illness of ours, alcoholism and drug addiction. And uh, anyway, didn't mean to bring that up right in the middle of our uh, introduction, but you may ask yourself, what did Anthony and Ian and Anna and Todd and Terry and Kurt and Josh and Jason and Sean do well, they went to our website www.soberspeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a, a contribution. Thank you so much, Anthony and Ian and Anna and Todd and Terry and Kurt and Josh. Josh having a hard time speaking today, and Jason and Sean. Uh, this episode is coming right out to Ewan's. I appreciate it. Um, so I'm just thinking here real quick, a little insight into my life. I'm actually recording this episode with a sweatshirt on, like a hoodie sweatshirt thing. It's actually a Dallas Cowboys hoodie sweatshirt that I have on. Uh, and um, and the reason that is significant is because it has been a long time since I have pulled out a, a hoodie, a, a sweatshirt, whatever you want to call it. 
Because down here in Texas, it doesn't get cool very soon. I know a lot of you are listening in going, we've been wearing those for a month now, John. But nonetheless, there's a chill in the air. This is actually, for those of you who actually care, um, and that's probably very few of you, but nonetheless, this is actually my absolute favorite time of the year, the fall. I, I don't know what it is. My fall and winter are actually my favorite times. And uh and then spring and then summer. I'm not too much into the heat. You say, well, John, you're not into the heat, but you live in Texas? Yes. Well, you can't have everything. But nonetheless, um, uh, it's a little chilled out here. And I am... Um, so I'm recording this, and in the room next to me, we're upstairs, I hear... Well, it sounds like a, a combination of a thunder and an earthquake. And what's going on is my son is on the wrestling team up at school. And he is in there warming up because they have a scrimmage slash tournament. And warming up uh, involves, by the way, like I said, we're up on the second floor. And and he's doing a lot of like, uh, you know, somersault things on this little pad that he has in what we call the playroom. And uh, it causes a lot of racket. But I'm really excited that he's warming up and he's going to be ready for this. And uh, in just a little while here, we're going to go, when I say we, me and the lovely Mrs. M are going to go watch him. And we're excited about that. Um, oh, yes. I mentioned this last week. But guess what, folks? We are going to have another shindig. What does that mean? We're going to have a Sober Speak Live, and it's going to be Reno, John A., and he's going to be the special guest who we will interview. And by the way, during this special event, we're going to be streaming it live, and for those of you actually in the audience or watching it live, you will be able to ask your questions Arino John. And, you know, I'm sure there have been many times, well, uh, maybe not, but I know people listen to the podcast and they think to themselves, I would have asked this question, or I would have asked this question, or I'd like to know a little bit more about this. Well, guess what? You're going to have the chance with Mr. Reno John, and uh, we'll look real forward to it. And that is, oh gosh, uh, December let me go here real quick. December. Oh, you know where I'm going? I'm going to the website. Yeah. December 3rd, Friday uh, of 2021 at 7 p.m. Central time now, 7 p.m. Central time. And that will be at, if you're here in person live, that will be at the Grace Avenue United Methodist Church here in Frisco, Texas. And not only will we have Reno John, but we will have Mary Lynn B. as well. By the way, if you ever if you want to look up her music, it is fantastic. She's on Spotify. It's Mary, M-A-R-Y, and then Lynn, L-Y-N. Just one N is in Nancy, and then B is her last name as in Baker. So Mary Lynn B. on Spotify. And she does recovery music, and it's absolutely fantastic. I will put a link to her Spotify music in the show notes here. So you can just go back, go and uh, click it and uh, listen to her music. Anyway, she's going to be doing it live there that night. Though. And we're going to have food, we have drinks, we have mu- non-alcoholic drinks, you know what I'm talking about. And we'll have child care as well. So if you're here in this area and you need the child care, uh, just email me at john, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com so we can be properly prepared. 
prepared uh, for you so they can watch your child, children. You know what I'm saying. Uh, and you say, John, where can all these details be found? Well, go to our website, www.soberspeak.com. You have a you have a map there and everything else uh, on how to make it to the location. And you say to yourself, well, what if I cannot attend in person, John? How can I take advantage and be watching or participate in this particular event? Well, like I mentioned earlier, if you are in the super secret Facebook group, you can watch everything live and we would love to have you in there we're going to be streaming it that night so go ahead and uh, uh if you're not in the super secret facebook group yet just go find the secret facebook group uh on uh let me think about this you go to facebook and then you look up secret oh excuse me sober speak secret group and you look for that and there's a place where you can ask for admission and we would be glad to let you in there um and then even if you are unable to attend uh, the Facebook group or the live event, we are going to be posting the episode as a live episode. If you are out there and you want to either volunteer for the event, just send me an email, john at soberspeak.com. We could always use a couple extra hands. Or you would like an electronic copy of the information that I had, that I just shared, uh, email me, uh, like, like if you want to share it on your, I don't know. Wherever people share, oh, you could actually print it out and put it in your group if you would like, uh, or you could uh, post it in a Facebook group or do whatever you want to do. Anyway, I'll get you an electronic copy of it, and you can do with that as you wish. Now, on to Mr. Charlie P, and we are calling this ep Pivot Point in Alcoholics Anonymous. Charlie P. has been sober since March 22nd of 1985, and the pivot point is where, quote, we perform his work well and stay close to him. Charlie talks about the plane crash he had in sobriety and the CNN reporter you may recognize involved in that little crash. He talks about the definition of fixin'. For those of you not from Texas, uh, we discuss service work at length, selfishness also. Uh, we talk about <laughs> the t-shirts out there that says, Mr. Brown needs his ass kicked. If you don't know what that means, it's a, a reference from the big book. Uh, and anyway, he says, uh, Charlie says that he is in the entirely different angle business. And you'll have to listen in to see what that means. And he also talks about the nine questions in the sex inventory in the big book on page 69. And for those of you new to recovery and you're just now catching on to that, yes, it is page 69 <laughs> and it is where the sex inventory is. I don't think it was planned that way, but God only knows. Anyway, Please sit back, enjoy Charlie, and we will have plenty of oh, listener feedback at the end of this as I'm getting caught up. Uh, enjoy. Okay, everybody. So we are back again at the microphone 
with the one and only Mr. Charlie P. So, Charlie P., I'm going to have you just go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you wish, and tell people where you live in this great land of ours. Thank you, John. I'm Charlie P. I'm a very grateful alcoholic. I live in Austin, Texas, and my home group is the Primary Purpose Group of Alcoholics Anonymous. We meet uh, at 2701 South Lamar on Tuesday nights at 730. Uh, we're a big book study. And then we meet on Wednesday nights on Zoom. And our Zoom is 630-577-473 with no password. Come see us on a Wednesday night, 730 p.m. All times are central. And I think that you've had Quite a few folks join you from the podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I believe so. And we've been getting 300 people on Wednesday nights. Oh, wow. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Okay. So this is our fourth sit down with Mr. Charlie P. And this has basically been a uh, the closest thing I have had on the podcast to a big book workshop. That's what we call it. Right, Charlie? Mm-hmm. We kind of started with just you telling your story, if you will, and then we've done a slow walk through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and what else do we need to say? I think that's it, right? So let's just get on into the material. Um, The last, by the way, the title of the last episode that we did release was called Second Surrender in Alcoholics Anonymous, and why don't you just kind of give a brief recap of what that meant and kind of you know, what that means in your life, your experience, strength, and hope with that particular term. Sure. Yeah. Cause we're going to build from that. And in fact, it's the pivot point in Alcoholics Anonymous the way I see it now, but for, for so many of our fellowship, you know, step one is, are you alcoholic? And we didn't, we don't always spend a tremendous amount of time talking about what that means, but the book spends the doctor's opinion and 44 pages talking about what it means, physical allergy coupled with a mental obsession and what that means by powerlessness and um, the strange mental twist that precedes the first drink and that sort of thing. But for a whole lot of us, it's like, are you alcoholic? Do you believe in God? Then let's get you down on your knees and do the third step prayer. And that's what we talked about last time is that when you do that, you skip this body of work in pages 60 to 63. I did anyway, and I, I used to be embarrassed to talk about how much I'd missed until I realized how much company I have. And, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and I mean, I've had people come to, up to me after we break down 60 to 63 and go, I had to go back to my room last night and get my big book out and see if it really said the stuff you were saying, because their experience was to go right from do you believe in a power to the third step prayer. For a whole bunch of us, the whole third step is just the third step prayer. And 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 so what happens is you wind up working a, a program like the problem is alcohol. And, and alcohol, I mean, we need you to stay sober, <laughs> but... But uh, physical sobriety starts to look like recovery, but then some of us start hitting walls in sobriety and can't figure out why we're in collision and blowing up relationships and in conflict at work and that sort of thing. And and it brings in this, what we call the self-peace in those pages 60 to 63. So the first surrender being that surrender 
to alcohol or whatever else brought me crashing through the doors of AA. But the second surrender for a lot of us takes place even after we've been trying to manage this deal sober for a while. And, and it, the, it's the collapse of self-will in sobriety that, that, uh, that on my own, I'm almost always in collision with something or somebody. And, and we talked about that quite a bit on the last session is that, you know, I, I didn't realize, I thought, actually, at one point, I thought I was running up against the failure of Alcoholics Anonymous. <clears throat> but really, what I was running up against was the failure of self-will. Me trying to run the show in, in sobriety, and God had just kind of had a consulting position. <laughs> and, and, and you know, I, I, I'll call you in if I need you, but I don't need you right now. You know? <laughs> and, and you could have told that by following me around. So the second surrender is the surrender to, to self, and it, and it takes place on page sixty-three above the, the the. So that's where we build from. And so just to recap, right, I, you know, for, and for those of you who haven't heard the first three episodes of Charlie P, go go back and look at If you go to our website, SoberSpeak.com, and then you click on podcast and type in the word Charlie, all of his particular episodes will come up. Or you can, you know, just work look up Charlie on your podcast player or whatever. But, you know, um, I, I, I want to kind of go back to, because I, I think this is important for those especially if I haven't heard it before, but you had a different experience with Alcoholics Anonymous. The first, what was it, like 17 years or so? Is, is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then you had after the 17 years. And so just kind of, just a real thumbnail sketch of what was your experience like over those first 17 years and how does it differ from what happened between that point and now? That's exactly what I'm hoping we get to talk about today because in the first 17 years, I was very much a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, very much about staying sober. My sobriety date is March of 80, March 22nd of 85. I'm sober 36 years and uh, almost 36 and a half. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, like I said, I just I couldn't understand why I was having so much conflict. And, and, and I talk about that a lot in those earlier ones, but but I really hit a wall at four and a half years, one at seven years. And then the one I hit at 17 years, and that was a big one. And uh, we'll roll into what brought that on, but uh, I guess I don't know whether to do that before. Well, to touch more on this second surrender, when we got, the, we finished off the last session right here on page 62 and 63, and it, where it's saying, you know, that. Uh, Selfishness, self-centeredness is the root of my problem. And above everything, we have to be rid of this selfishness. You know, it doesn't even say above everything, I need to stop drinking vodka. It's saying if I don't get over this selfishness, I'm going to get so uncomfortable that I'm going to seek relief again. And where this is a powerful message is for two groups that I seem to encounter a lot. One is a group of people that have been in and out of AA for a long time. And they're coming back into AA trying to figure out what's going to be different this time. And the other is groups like me that have been here for a while and not doing very well. And this is an emerging uh, message in the rooms because, uh, you know, the people have been around longer now. So when it gets down to this thing where it says I'm no longer in management, 
uh, at the bottom of 62 when we, you know, uh, I got to quit playing God and on the top of 63, it calls, the deal is I got to quit playing God. The terms of the deal are being all powerful, he'll provide what I need if I stay close to him and perform his work well. And I call this the, the pivot point in Alcoholics Anonymous because everything in the book up to this leads to this point, and everything that we're going to encounter from here moving forward refers back to this point. It's it's just such a, you know, it says, if we stay close to him and perform his work well, he'll provide what we need. And the thing that is amazing is that from here on out, there ain't nothing else but those two things. Everything we do from here moving forward is either about staying close to God or or performing his work well. And so this biggest course of action that we're going to talk about today left at this position that I find myself at this pivot point. Where I'm, go ahead. So let me ask you a question. So I know you've worked with a lot of guys over mm-hmm. the years, right? And you do a lot of workshops. Uh, and you even said, you know, when you're sharing this, people ask, you know, wh- wh- wait a sec, what do you mean by that? So uh, I'm curious when you get to a point when you're working with some some guy and you say your job from here is to perform his work well. And he says to you, that sounds great. But what what do you mean by that? How do I perform his work well? Exactly. And we love to take statements in the big book and turn them into questions. So like over there, uh, uh, when it says in the third step, when it says, turn your will in your life over to the care of God, and it says, what do you mean by that? And what do you want me to do? And I think it's a fair question for the guy to ask. And then, so then the same thing happens here, but it turns out that the third step prayer is just an affirmation of this decision that I'm going to, that God's going to be the director. And from here on, I'm no longer in management. Now, here's the thing. Um, we may skip. When, when I say I had a new experience with the work, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I was living, I was commuting between Austin and New York City, and we had a beach house out in the Hamptons and a lot of fancy stuff going on. And one night, we chartered a plane to fly from eastern Long Island back into New York City to go to dinner. and So who is we, just so I know? Well, I was married in a different marriage at that time. And uh, and uh, I had a couple up from South Carolina and my dog and, and, and her and me. And so there's five adults, one and the dog, and a charter pilot on a little Cessna 210 with retractable landing gear. We take off from East Hampton. We're flying up at about 3,500 feet, heading in towards Manhattan. We're looking, it's about 9.30 at night, July 20th, 2003. And uh, we're flying along at about 3,500 feet. And then, then, I mean, and all of a sudden we're in a glider. And it was like you had taken the key to the plane and pitched it out the window. Uh, I was sitting in the co-pilot seat with headphones a lot like the ones I have on today. And when I put those headphones on, when I heard the pilot, I'm in the co-pilot seat. Now, I'm not a co-pilot, but I was in the co-pilot seat. And when I put the headphones on, I hear the radio, There's and, there's, he, and I can hear his audio, and he's jacking this knob on the throttle going, come on, come on, come on. 
And I'm like, what? And uh, they said, you're cleared to Gabreski. There was an airport at 10 o'clock, a runway that we were looking right down at. But we're not going to make it. I mean, we're not going to clear the water. We're not going to clear the trees. And we're not going to make this runway. And he says, you don't understand. I've lost engine power. I can't make land. I'm going to have to ditch. Now, I'm a lifelong gambler, but this is my what are the odds that the first time we ever charter a plane, we're going to crash it into the water at night? And he says, brace for impact. And is that what they mean by ditch when they say the word ditch or they're, they're we're, about to? Uh, we're putting it in the water. Yeah. And, and uh, John Kennedy style, you know, and uh, um, he turns towards the shore. There were some big bright lights shining out over the water, and he, and he turns, and we come gliding, and he says, brace for impact. And I go, how? And, and he says, so I put my hands on the dashboard, and we're approaching, and then smash, we hit the water, and it's like splashed down at six flags times a 1,000. There's spray and water and noise, and then absolute silence. And I'm like, holy cow. I think we're all right. So I start trying to open my door and my, because we're going well, about, about the time that I realized we're okay. I felt something on my knee. Now this wasn't much of an airplane, but it was a really crummy boat. <laughs> and I mean, right about, right about the time I realized water just goes, and I go up to get air and there's nothing but water in the roof of the plane. And I can't get my door open. And I'm, underwater and and so i thought well that's it i died today in this flipping airplane and now spoiler alert i didn't die um but (laughs) but when i went back underwater i started jacking that door and the door came open and i pulled myself out and my first thought when i felt my feet come free was i'm out i'd like to tell you i thought of others but my first thought was i'm out I'm out. And I went up, got some air, went down and pulled them out. They were had a little pocket of air in the back of the plane. And I got her out and I got the dog out. And the other couple went out the other side and the pilot went out that side. And and so uh, uh, we came very close to drowning. And, and the, the only non-survivor was the dog, this little Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. But so I wound up on the CNN with this little cub reporter that was trying to make a name for himself at the time had a little nothing show called live from the headlines with anderson cooper and he he interviews us and my friends around the country are like is that charlie you know but so the reason i say all this is i come back to austin and i knew i was in trouble and a near-death experience like that sometimes can be motivating where you go a lot of that stuff i was fixing to do uh, for people outside of Texas, that means preparing to do. So it's, <laughs> it's not repairing; it's preparing. And, and, and you know, a lot of stuff I was about to get around to doing. All of a sudden, there's new urgency, you know. And so I come back, and I think you're about to interview this old timer that here in Austin named John Henry. And I called up John Henry, and I said, "John Henry, I am so self obsessed." that I can't even, I know this is probably not the case for any of your listeners, but I, w- I told him the way I found, I said, I can't even be in a conversation 
but with anybody. I have to just force myself to act like I give a flip what you're saying, you know, because and all I want to talk about is me and me and me. And I can't, you know, I interrupt and I can't listen and I steal topics. And I didn't realize it was mentioned in our literature. But I st- John Henry says, let's start going out to this treatment center. And, and uh, you know, and you're like, you know, it's funny, John. When you're in trouble and people suggest service work, it rarely sounds like the answer. You know, <laughs> you, you know it's like, mm, you know, they're going to want to talk about themselves. And I, th- I think we should find a place to talk about me. And, and, and But I start carrying a message to these guys. And there were times where I felt like I was a step ahead of them. And I'd tell them, go home and read the doctor's opinion and Bill's story. And I'd go home and read the doctor's opinion. And about that time, a friend of mine, had gone to this treatment center in the hill country of Texas and met this one-eyed guy down there named Chris R. And and Chris introduced him to his brother, who was at the primary purpose group. Myers was in Dallas, where Tom lived. And we all started having a new experience in the work. And and and, and uh, so I worked with Myers for a while, and that was enlightening. I still work with Myers now. But about that time, we met Mark Houston, and I, I, would, I would implore your listeners, if you don't hear me say anything else tonight, hear me say, get a hold of some Mark Houston recordings and take notes and study them like it, there's going to be a test on it. It'll change your sobriety, change mine. So that's when I come back and I start discovering this self-peace. And, and so in the time we have left, you mind if we just roll right into this? No, not at all. Let me take a just a small break here, Charlie. You can get a little uh, sip of water there. We will be continuing our conversation with Charlie P. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the worldwide interweb at www.soberspeak.com. There you can find about mm, 210 or so uh, depending on when we release this uh, episode, uh, other episodes for free. Uh, please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. You can find the donate button on our website. You can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. All right, now back to Mr. Charlie P. All right, so this will roll on in to the next photo. But, that, but that's a very intriguing story there uh i am so that that is wild that you got out of that plane and anderson cooper yeah, was actually uh, interviewing you he does uh, anderson cooper know he's ending up on an aa podcast you think <laughs> i don't know I, t- I always say that it was no earl hightower story but it was pretty dramatic in my life you know and um uh you know what happened then? Because I like to talk. I've always said that, like, for me, I almost need to talk about what it was like, what I was like, what happened, then what happened, and what I'm like now. Because ah. I had such a big experience in 17 years, and I see it happen a lot. And and so this self-piece that we covered on the last one is so big because it, it blows my recovery picture wide open where now it's not just a program of drink, don't drink, go to a lot of meetings, try to help somebody, that sort of thing. Now I'm looking at self as the root of my problems. And what and see, I, when we get back to these fair questions, John, I, I, I can imagine a guy saying, okay, Charlie, look, self, 
with the little hand quotation marks, is what's defeating me. I don't get it. What am I even talk? What are you even talking about? And listen what it says in the fourth step when we roll over to 64. Because see, it turns out when it says stay close to him and perform his work well, I can't stay close to this power until I get close to this power. And I can't get close to this power when I'm blocked. I always use a graphic of this pipeline with the power on one end of the pipe and me on the other, but my pipeline is clogged up with guilt and remorse and shame and self-pity and resentment and fear and all those things. So we have to try to remove what's blocking me, the pipe, so at least there can be some flow of power or grace between me and this power. And so look at what it says. It says, um, in the fourth step, it says, though our decision was vital and crucial, it could have little permanent effect, and we would like permanent effect. It says, unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things which in ourselves which have been blocking us. So I can't get close to this power till, till I'm blocked. So and look at what it says in the fourth. If I miss the self-peace in the third step, John, look at what it says in the fourth step. Middle of the page, it says, first we searched out the flaws in our makeup which caused our failure. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways was what it defeated us. And in my book, I've written right there, am I? Am I convinced? And then interesting, over on page 60, it says the first requirement is that I be convinced that my life run on self will can hardly be a success. And on 64, it says being convinced. So it tells me that 60 to 64, his job is to convince me that my life right on self-will can hurt. But I still got the guy going, but what am I looking for? It says, well, being convinced that self is what had defeated us, we considered its. And what is its? Selfs. We considered self's common manifestations. So when you turn that sentence around a little bit, now, rather than just the fourth step being a big confession, what it turns into is a consideration of the common ways that self manifests or shows up. So when you got the guy going, okay, what am I supposed to be looking for? I went, go, well, I'll tell you what, buddy, let's look at some of the common ways that self shows up. And what's the first one? Resentment yeah. as, a, as a manifestation of self. Got you. And then fear uh, uh, as the failure of self-will. And then the manifestations of self when the sexual instinct is aroused. Some people get selfish around that. I mean, you and I. No, not, not me. Yeah, no, right. but others. Some of the weaker members of our society. <laughs> <laughs> the weaker members. <laughs> But so, but I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about how to work a four-column inventory because there's a ton. I want to talk about the stuff that was really new for me. And so, what happened was now we take this self piece into the into the four-column inventory, and and you know, for a long time, my first sponsor was like, "Where's this fourth column you keep talking about?" I'm like, well, it's a good question, you know, because it's easily missed. Okay, and so for there are a lot of people who listen to this, just so you know, Charlie, who are new listeners. They're trying to, they're so curious. They don't know exactly what you mean by fourth column and all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. So just, just a real brief overview of that. Page 65 is what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. 
And then there's not a fourth column listed out on it uh, just so people know. But then the fourth column kind of goes into the uh, looking at my part, if you will. Yeah, my mistakes. And, 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 and now here's what the first column is. Who am I mad at? I think it's brilliant that we start off to any drunk can tell you who they're mad at. Have you seen those uh, T-shirts that say, uh, I'm Mr. Brown, I'm resentful at Mr. Brown or something? No, they say Mr. Brown needs his ass kicked. That's right. (laughs) Because look at what Mr. Brown, column one, Mr. Brown, column two, what did he do? He's hitting on my wife. He told my wife, I have a mistress, and he's trying to knock me out of my job at the office. And the thing, that's why we always say Mr. Brown needs his ass kicked, because he's, he's hitting on my wife. And for leverage, he said, you know, your husband's got a girlfriend, and he's trying to get my job. He's threatening a lot of things. And, so, and that's what we pick up in the third column is it affects my self-relations, my self-esteem, my fear, my personal relations, sex relations security, ambitions. You know, when I deal with ambitions, I always say the way I want things to turn out. So him hitting on my wife and knocking me out of my job is not the way I want things to turn out. So it's going to interfere with my ambitions. Well, there, there's a lot of that in the first three columns. But when you turn to page 66, um, it says a very uh Compelling line, it says, to conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. Good grief, have we spent some time there. Mm-hmm. And, and it says, the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. As in war, the victor only seems to win. But then it goes down, and, it, and on 66, it threatens my life six times. It basically just says stuff like, if we were to live. We had to be free of, of resentment. So this is really, this exercise is really only for those of us that want to live. And and, and, and so, but I want to get through this because the, the powerful piece in the resentment inventory is not writing down who I'm mad at, what they did, and how it affected me, and then talking to somebody about it. Look what happens at the bottom of 66. This is a piece that is it's on very few four-step guides. And you get down here and it says, we turn back to the list for it held the key to the future. This is a question I ask guys when I'm listening to inventory. I go, John, are you willing to look at this from an, this resentment from an entirely different angle? And they'll usually go, yeah, yeah. And now most of the time I'm thinking, I don't know why. It's, I've got it. I, understand, I saw exactly what happened. It's a silly exercise to think that there's a different angle, but go ahead, you know, uh, and it's amazing how many times we come into inventory with this fierce resentment, see it from a different angle, see how selfish and dishonest and self-seeking and fear-driven I was. And I have this, oh, my God, moment where I go, oh, my God, I've been waiting for them to come apologize to me. I got to go apologize to them. You know, and the way it takes place is right here. It says, how could we escape? Over and over, the book brings us to Here's the problem. Do you admit it's a problem? Oh, by the way, buddy, you can't do anything about it. On, <laughs> on, on your own power, right. this is as good as it's going to get. We couldn't wish them away. And then here's this thing. It can be called the compassion exercise, the entirely different angle. Uh, we call it the sick man prayer. But uh, just because Katie had a sponsor, they call it mad one time. She goes, and I've done a sick man prayer on her and, and all that stuff. And we've called it. But listen what it says. This was our course. This is what our founders saying. 
They did. They realized that the people who wronged them were perhaps spiritually sick. I mean, not a lot sicker than I am necessarily, but at least two people suffering from the human condition, right? Because when I, when I foul up, I always have a story to go with it. And I can tell you about my motives and what I was trying to do. But now if you foul up, it's, right. an, it's an outrage and I demand justice. Right? <laughs> That's right. So at least for now, we're going to look at what was driving them. Though we didn't like their symptoms, column two, and the way they disturbed me, column three, they, like me, were sick too. Now, you hear a lot about praying for the people you resent. And that's from one of the stories in the back of the book. It's not a bad exercise. That's not what it's saying here, though. It says, we ask God to help. Now, here's a clue. In the book, when it says we ask, it's usually a prayer. And if it says we ask God, it's always a prayer. And it says we ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant. Now, Pity you could change for tolerance. We ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, compassion, I mean compassion, and patience that we would grant a sick friend. When a person's offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? Now, what this does is puts me in a position of looking what, at the other person's position. And sometimes a different angle is looking at, like, how would they tell this story? You know, or another one is, is there anybody that could have written the same inventory except my name would be in column one? You know, have I ever done this same behavior before? But I, like I said, I always got a story to go with it. And and I've seen it be so powerful, you know, where I don't, I don't know if I got time to tell you about Roy, but it's such a powerful story. This guy was doing work with, his, he, he had a resentment against his father, column one. What happened? Well, when I was about 12, my dad got out of his car one day, came walking in the house and said, your mother uh, killed herself today. And walked out in the house and, you know, and it's like, affected his self-esteem, is this, is ambition, all that. Well, and you could get a lot of people in AA to say, oh, you poor thing. How can anybody be that thoughtless, that mean to a 12-year-old boy? And But that's not where we went with it. I'm like a news reporter when you're saying that. And I'm going, okay, how many kids were in your family? And were your parents still together? And how was the money situation there at the house? And and, uh, and so, uh, and where did you fall in those kids? And, you know, he goes, well, it's all right. My dad was a welder. We weren't rich, but we were okay. And and, uh, and my parents were still together. And three kids, I was in the middle. And, and we were two years apart. And I said, there had been a lot of... Uh, Unrest in the household with mental illness. Yeah, yeah. And your dad's had a lot of trouble with her. Yeah. And he, you know, today she's killed herself. So when we do this compassion exercise, I go, so did it ever occur to you that you were 12? I'm guessing your dad's in his mid-30s, right? He was a mid-30s welder, married to a house full of drama and three kids. And he's busting his ass as a welder all day, every day. Now, he's had a lot of trouble. On this day, his wife has killed herself. Now, he's got to leave work. He's got to come home. He's got to figure out how to tell the people in this little town they live in that his wife committed suicide. He's got to notify all the family members and tell them. And in the meantime, he's got to plan a funeral and figure out how to raise three kids as a single dad and still make a living. You know, I said, did it ever occur to you that given his tools and his background and the amount of dealage that he had at his fingertips. Is it possible that he was doing the 
the best he could that day. He wasn't trying to do anything to you. He just said it as he was walking in. And he said, my favorite thing to hear a guy say in this compassion exercise is when they go, oh, my God. And it just, it, it gives me goosebumps to think about it because what happens is you see, I, he said, I never thought about my dad for a moment. Um, and then he said, Terry, go, could I be any more self-centered? You know, and he's like, for the last 40 years, I've borrowed money from him and not paid it back. I used to kick his car when I'd see it sometimes. Um, I've been waiting for him to apologize. Could I be any more self-centered? I need to go find my dad and apologize. So, and, and I watched a 40-year resentment just go poof. And that's what I'm talking about. It's the power of this exercise is we come in with a resentment and we think we need forgiveness. But what I need is awareness. Mm-hmm. And when I get the awareness, I don't need to hand out nearly as much forgiveness when I start saying, oh, and now look at what this exercise does is it places, it's cleverly wedged between the third column and the fourth column to move me in this place because the next part says, where was I selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightening? Look at it, oh, my God, selfish, all I thought about was me. I mean, and and self-seeking, you know, I, I try to get things going up, frightened, I mean, it moves me into a place where, and, that, and, and the beauty of that is that gives me real stuff in the fourth column to take into steps six and seven. And so that's my job. I always say I'm in the entirely different angle business. When a guy's reading the inventory to me, I'm thinking, what's a different angle on this? Where's it, you know, how would they tell this story? Uh, where is he delusional? Where did he set the ball rolling? You know, that, that sort of thing. So I, I love that. I am nope. in the entirely different angle business. And, <laughs> and I, I get that. Yeah. I've had so many of those conversations. And I've had, you know, I've had people have those conversations with me as well. Exactly. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've, I, I never looked at it that way. That is a different perspective. I think that my perspective is the only perspective. Absolutely. And that's the baffling piece of it. And that's why we need each other. That's why I need 10 steps. That's why I have a sponsor and 10 step buddies is because I can see selfishness clearly in you, but I'm blind to it in myself because of my motives and this delusion that if everybody had just done what I said, we'd all been better off. So now, oh, and it's funny because I was doing work with a guy one time, and, and we did his dad. Oh, my God. He says, then his ex-girlfriend. And he's like, oh, no. You know, and then and then this other thing. And after about three of those entirely different angles, I'll never forget it because he goes, you know, Charlie, I'm really a pretty good guy, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm showing up like a real butthole in his fourth column. <laughs> but, but I was like, I'm not mad at you, you know. But, I mean, and the book says we don't drift into worry, remorse, or morbid self-reflection because sometimes I remember seeing a gag book one time that said dealing with post-self-awareness depression. <laughs> you, you see that sometimes in that fourth column where all of a sudden they go oh my god I mean could I be any but you're like wouldn't it be worse if you came to me and said you were in trouble and read your inventory to me and I just went god dang buddy I just 
I can't see anything that you could be doing different. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, we really, we come out of this, we you know, with real, real work to go do. Right. So, so then just to speed through it, we're not going to get very far today. That look like, but you know, so we do that over and over again in, in the, in the fourth, you know, in the resentments. Then we go to the fear inventory. And when we ask ourselves why we had our fear, remember, while we're doing this inventory is we're looking at the common manifestations of self. So we saw how selfishness shows up in the resentment inventory. In the fear inventory, it says we listed our fears. We asked ourselves why we had them and listen to the answer. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? So self-reliance is reliance upon self. And, it, and so sometimes when I'm in fear, to me, that's a red flag that, I'm in, that I've drifted out of God consciousness into self-reliance. Good point. So how does self-reliance uh, manifest itself? I get afraid. Mm-hmm. Because I know there's only a few things that I can control. And the things that are outside of my control scare the heck out of me. You know, cancer. Whether people are going to gossip about me, COVID-19, how my kids are going to turn out, if I'm going to stay married, how's my money going to go? You know, a lot of those things create this low-level hum of anxiety that Howard Poland used to talk about, good rest his soul. And it says... This hum of anxiety. That's Howard P. God bless him. I just love Howard P. And, And it says... Perhaps there's a better way. We, they think so. Whenever it says we, it's usually talking about our founders. They're saying they think so. For their ne- We're now on a different basis. Basis be the underlying foundation or the fundamental principle of something. And when the basis of my life is I'm running this thing, I'm almost always in collision. I'm scared. I'm resentful. It says we're now on a new basis where the fundamental principle is trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. So what happens when I'm no longer in management? Guess what? Heart attack is above my pay grade. You know, I mean, that's management level stuff. Uh, cancer is outside. You know, and sometimes when I do a fear inventory, I'll run down the list of his fears and go, this, little, this fear you put down here, is that inside your area of control? We're outside your area of control. And it's outside, 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 outside. And you go, what if there's a better way, trusting and relying upon God? And then it says, just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him. One time I had a guy go, uh, how do I know what God's will is? And I heard myself saying, well, you know, I'm not always super clear on what God's will is. But I'm usually pretty clear on what it isn't. And I said, how about if we just focus on not doing the stuff that's clearly not God's will (laughs) and assume that everything else. And I realize in the book it says the same thing. It says, just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity, all this confusion, with serenity? And, And we ask God, we ask God to demonstrate. Now, we use a dictionary at my home group, and you're not going to believe what demonstrate said when we looked up in this 1939 dictionary. It said, to prove 
beyond the shadow of doubt to prove to the point that the opposite viewpoint is rendered absurd. So when we demonstrate that what let God demonstrate through me what he can do, not only is he going to prove that reliance on him works, he's going to prove it to the point that it's going to make self-reliance absurd. You know, and for a lot of us, we've seen the results of that. Then we roll in, and he says it once we commence that. Then we get into the sex inventory, and it talks about the sex, you know, going one way, this way, but that way. He says we don't want to be the arbiter, um, but we all have sex problems. We wouldn't be human if we didn't. What can we do about them? And then there's nine questions in the middle of six. I mean, it says, we reviewed our conduct. Where had we been selfish, dishonest? These are recurring themes, you know, inconsiderate. Whom had I hurt? Did I unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? Where was I at fault? What should I have done instead? And it's and why are we doing all this, John? Because I was doing a sex inventory with a guy one time, and he had all these people that he had mistreated. And he kept saying, I was a... What's a fairly um, jerk? We're going to use the word jerk. He says, I was a jerk to this girl. I was a jerk to this girl. I was a jerk to the girl downstairs. I was a jerk to the girl at school. I was a jerk. You know, and I heard myself saying, how could we not be a jerk? You know, And then I realized that's really what this exercise is about. It says, in this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. And the way we do it, way we try to shape a sane and sound ideal is by looking at what hasn't worked in the past. And then, and then we ask God to mold our ideals and help us live up to them. Now, here's the thing. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow towards it. Well, here's the thing. At one point in my sobriety, I was having trouble with some stuff in this area. I was working with Mark Houston, and I was having a little trouble with the stuff that was coming across my computer screen. If uh, I'm not sure that sets me apart. <laughs> and I'm going to Mark, and I'm talking about, and he took me to this sex prayer on page 70, and I actually wrote these four things down on an index card. And it says, to sum up about sex, Here's four things. We earnestly pray for the right ideal. God, show me what, what this should look like. Right? Second piece, ask for guidance in each questionable situation. Third, for sanity, wholeness and soundness. And, and fourth, for the strength to do the right thing. We do this in advance because sometimes with the sexual stuff, we think we can dance right up to the edge of the fire. We got to nip it way upstream. You know, I always say that, you know, we're like, God, if you don't want this to happen, don't let this hotel key work in this door. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's got to start with that first flirtatious look or little flirty comment. It's the dance. Yeah, so, but that's a powerful exercise. I had that on the dashboard in my car. God, show me the right ideal. Give me guidance in each questionable situation. Please show, give me sanity, and give me the strength to do the right thing. 
So, now check this out. If we've been thorough about our inventory, we've written down a lot. We've listed and analyzed every sentence. We've begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. Um, we've begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill towards all men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people. We've listed the people we've hurt by our conduct. We're willing to straighten out the past if we can. In this book, you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Now, check this out. If I missed the self-peace in the third step, and I missed it in the beginning of the fourth step, and then I missed it here again, look at what it says on page 71. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. And I've written in my book right there, Are You Convinced? If you've already made a decision in the inventory of your grosser handicaps, you've made a good beginning. I'm very much about ongoing inventory, multiple fifth steps. Now, when I do an inventory now, it might be three resentments and four fears. It might take 10 minutes to write out, but we're still going to get to that uh, sick man exercise in the fourth column and that sort of thing. It's amazing how many times I see things from an entirely different angle. But I mean, that's about as fast as I can run through the kind of the self-peace, the deal in, in, in the third step, and how that carries into inventory, how this, this self-peace changes not only my third step, but it changes my approach to the steps, changes my approach to my recovery, it changes how I sponsor guys. You know, so when they're calling me with 10 steps, I'm not talking about here's how you deal with a difficult wife. I'm talking to them about where'd you set the ball rolling? Where'd you make decisions based on self that placed you in a position to be harmed? And that sort of thing. But I, as long as neither of us kicks the can anytime soon, I think we'll, we could schedule some more time and uh, uh, talk about the fifth step and the other steps and yeah. uh, just kind of just meander. Yeah. yeah. Well, because this is real stuff that when you get the guy coming back in going, I'm, I'm not doing very well, you know, and to be able to show him that there's more available in the work than what he's been experiencing. I've said for years, I don't know which is more awesome, being able to have a spiritual awakening as a result of this work or to be able to show somebody else how to have a spiritual awakening as a result of this work. Now we go right into clear-cut directions. Clear-cut directions. That'll be where we pick up next. Well, Mr. Charlie P., as always, I really enjoy spending time with you. Uh, and, and I'm sure you could see me reading through the big book, taking a lot of notes. Uh, and, you know, I, I learned from this as well. And it's got me thinking about, you know, different arenas in my life and the best way to go about them and which questions I need to ask myself. And I, I really do appreciate it. And I know uh, many of the listeners will be going through that same process in their own head. And so I, I appreciate you. Um, we'll get some time on the calendar and we'll uh, make sure to follow up. I know I have your uh, the real star of the family, Katie P, coming up here. And uh, I think there's going to be a couple, three months before I can get her recorded, but I'm, I'm looking yourself. forward to that. Yes. I always say she's kind of like getting a drink from a fire hose. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right. God bless you. Well, let me go ahead and read from page 164 here to close us out. If I can find it, there it is. Page 164 says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Much of what we have been talking about on the this episode with Charlie. It says, give freely of what you find and join, join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us, like me and Charlie P., as you trudge the road of happy destiny May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, my friend, Charlie, thank you so much. You're doing a good thing here, John. Thank you, sir. Charlie P. from Austin, Texas, you are the man. Thank you one more time, and we will look forward to having you back on the pod. Now, remember, we don't want you sharing your gossip. But we would love for you to share this episode with a friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. Pause your little device and share it with somebody. Uh, How do you do that? You you hit the pause, and then there's usually that little share button thingy, and then it kind of gives you your emails in your device and says you can share it to here or there, whatever the case may be. But we would love for you to do something similar to that. Anyway, Laura writes in and Laura says, John, I so enjoy the podcast. Uh, I found your podcast on November, 2020. I am so grateful for all of your service work and your awesome guests. And I love our awesome guests as well, Laura. She says, I'm extremely grateful for all your hard work. You and your family are remarkable with the dedication to delivering the message to so many of us. I already am one of your biggest fans, and I'm one of yours, Laura. Uh, And if you work full-time as well, and I do, and I do this podcast and make it to meetings and do your own routine to take care of your sobriety, I need to take lessons on time... <laughs> on time management from you. Well, it does get a little hectic sometimes, but... Uh, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. And, and I, you know, I've said this before on the podcast, and, I, and I'm going to say it again. It's probably not the last time I'll say it, but, you know, I, I got to tell you, I have, we have, what, 212 now episodes, something like that. And, uh, and, and they do take a little time. And um, I have thought s- several times in the past when I get to be a little too busy on the weekends with all these various projects I have, and I'm not going to bore you. I mean, we, we all have different things that we have passion projects and hobbies and, you know, family and work and all these things to take care of. I've thought, okay, I just need to take a break from this, you know, because I just, this is a little too much for me right now. But what I've always found is that if I make this a priority. And when I say this, carrying the message, if I make this a priority, um, everything else seems to work out in my life. Hard to explain. You know, it's like those times where you don't feel like going to a meeting and then you go and you go, man, why didn't I, I should have, I don't even know why I wasn't even thinking about going here. Or you think about not taking that phone call when a sponsee calls up or, you know, some sort of service work pops up or whatever. And then you do it and you say, Oh, I'm, I'm so glad I did that. That got me out of my head or whatever the case may be. So anyway, l- let me go on here. Um, 
time management she talked about. And then she's got two big smiley faces and uh, a big thumbs up. And she says, I love Reno John, especially the podcast about miracles. I have listened to that podcast multiple times. And what she's doing here, she actually responded. If you're not on my email list and you want to be on the email list, we send out notices, right, of all these various events and just different things, you know. Uh, I try not to spam people too much. And anyway, write me just at John, J-O-H-N at SilverSpeak.com and we can get you on that. But she's responding to an announcement that I sent out that we're going to have Reno John live on December 3rd at 7 p.m. in Frisco, Texas, and um, 7 p.m. Central Time, by the way. And so she's uh, she's so she's talking about that. She says, now for a clarification question. Oh, yeah. This upcoming podcast is 7 p.m. Central Time, correct? Well, you are correct. She says, I reside in Boston, Massachusetts. And she says, and I need to make sure I'm not shaking my head looking for it at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Yes. So Eastern Time would be 8 o'clock p.m. your time, 8 Eastern, 7 Central. She says, I'm looking forward to this podcast and for the Friday podcast from now till then. Your sister in recovery in a big old heart, Laura, I'm not going to say her last name, but there, it does start with an H. So Laura H., God bless you. Thank you for writing in, and we'll look forward to seeing you at least uh, in the Facebook group uh, when we uh, do a uh, a conversation with uh, John with Reno John on a Friday, December 3rd. Um, Jen writes in, Jen says, Hey, John, I'm in New York. How are you, my friend? I wish I could come. Oh, she's also responding to this announcement about John, uh, Reno John. I wish I could come, but I won't be able to attend, obviously, for traveling reasons. Reno is great. Uh, Reno is great. What is the largest, smallest town? You know what? Uh, oh, Reno. Oh, she's talking about Reno, Nevada. Okay, they, I got it. She says, I know I said that wrong. I used to play on the baseball field in Reno, but thanks for the invite, and I'm sure you'll shine, and everyone will have a great time. Have a wonderful day. Love and hugs. Well, I responded to Laura and let her know if she's in that Facebook group, she can come in with us, and we'd love to have her there. Really appreciate you coming in and watching us and listening to us uh, via Facebook, uh, the super secret Facebook group. Susie Q writes in, yes, her name is Susie Q. <laughs> I love it. She says, hello, John. My name is Susie Q and I live in Vancouver, British Columbia on the Pacific Northwest Coast. I am a retired senior manager from the provincial civil service, and I am now a full-time artist. I have 19 years sobriety from alcohol and three years sobriety from my doctor's prescribed opioids. I am working on my daily routine for my mental illness. wellness. Um, I am feeling extremely blessed and full of gratitude and to God's work for bringing me to this point in my life. I am really enjoying myself and I even love being in my old skin. Laugh out loud. <laughs> I hope you're having a wonderful day. Here are a couple of paintings of mine. Oh yes, for your viewing pleasure. Well, thank you. Take care. Lots of love. Susie Q. Well, Susie Q, those are amazing paintings. Um, I'm trying to figure out how I could 
share those. Maybe we could put them on the website, but I haven't asked you about this yet. I'm just kind of like working this out in my little pea brain as I'm actually sharing right now. But uh, um, anyway, I'm trying to think of how I could use those. I'd love for people to see your artwork. Anyway, um, maybe uh, we'll talk a little later. Anthony writes in. Oh, I love Anthony. I've heard from Anthony many times. He says, Dear John, once again, you knock it out of the park. Listening to Rich B's second episode on the way to work this morning, I got to the part where he was sharing information, where he was sharing about his turnaround, the law degree, the request to work uh, and lobby on a drug alcohol related law issues. And he told us, as he told us, who his guest was at the Senate, his mom, I actually found myself deeply moved and started crying in the car. My mom knew I was an alcoholic three years before I entered the rooms. She did not push. She did not pressurize. She, by the way, I like that word pressurize. She just quietly mentioned it twice and that was it. When I told her I'd been to my first meeting, she literally jumped for joy. When I got back to work and switched on my my PC, I realized today was my mom's birthday. She passed away last May. The love she continually showed me through my alcoholic suffering was second to none and even more so in sobriety. I'm still here. I still hear her in her Glasgow accent. Come on and get to your meeting. Oh, yeah, that's great. Uh, Let me read that again. I still hear her in her Glasgow accent saying, come on and get to your meeting. And that's a really bad accent, but I, I get the idea. And she says, and he says, please pass on my best wishes to Rich B, which I did. His story touched me so much on so many levels. Thank you once more. And then he says, best regards, and I can never get this right. I am assuming this is German, Ven Lig Hilsen. And I think that means best regards. Tony D, and he's got some number there. I'm assuming that's some sort of international number. But anyway, Tony D, thank you so much for writing in. I appreciate Yeah, Josh post in the Facebook group. By the way, here's another one about Rich B. I think this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he says, oh, no, 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 wait, wait. I'm so sorry. Uh, he says, hi, thanks for accepting my request to join. Oh, he's like writing to everybody here. It is what I think it is. He says, I thought I should make an intro. I'm Josh, an alcoholic from Ontario, Canada. My clean date is September 25th of 2021. And I've been in and out of the steps for 12 or 13 years. This podcast, yeah, he was just posting this to everybody has brought great comfort this year. I've been warming up to the program again, and I have been observing myself in a transition from extreme skepticism to growing faith. Maybe I am just another bozo on the bus, and this too can work for me. Hoping to see all of you at the yoga meeting at some point, if it's still going. So let me just say this. We actually put the yoga meeting on a little hiatus. It may come back. It may not. It's a long story. I'm kind of working with Megan on that, but just so you all know. 
Todd R. writes in, and Todd says, Hey, John, I have become a firm believer that AA and the 12 steps can solve all my problems. In my ninth year of sobriety, my smile disappeared. Problems began to pile up. The things that had never bothered me now have become issues in my life, and I was just miserable. My program was strong. I even added some more meetings, but the smile was gone. After living in this misery for five months, I was on the road at one of my kids' baseball tournaments, and I had no reason to be miserable. My son was playing well. The team was winning. I'm on vacation and surrounded by friends, but I was just miserable. The, the depression came very clear to me at that tournament. My lows had to become really low. I knew something was wrong, and I did the only thing I knew to do. Just keep talking to the fellowship. Everyone kept telling me the same thing. Go see your doctor. Since I'm an alcoholic and I am against taking prescription or mind-altering drugs, I never made that appointment. I just knew that the doctors would hand me drugs and send me on my way. Finally, after several months of suffering, a few guys in my home group pulled me aside and talked to me about my depressions. One of the guys told me I have a chemical imbalance in my brain and I need medication. That opened my eyes. I went to see the doctor and I was honest about the whole situation. My doctor knew I was anti-drugs of any sort. The doctor explained to me the drug treatment process and assured me that after two or three weeks, I would be a new person, that my brain would not have any mind-altering drug reaction. Soon after, the, soon after that, the smile returned. I became happy, joyous, and free, and I was back. Depression is a serious stuff, and I'm so glad you spoke up about your bout of depression. AA could only help me, help me with my depression, but the doctor came to... AA couldn't help me with my depression, but the doctor came to my re rescue. Thanks for being honest and help me, helping me to keep sober. Todd R. from Parma, Ohio. Well, you know, Todd, I, I really appreciate you writing in. And, I, you know, I, I, I want to, on this particular podcast, I'm not either for or against, right? I, I don't want to be... Uh, like, if you want to do medication, you can. And if you don't, you don't. But I do have a personal experience. And mine was very, very similar to Todd. Uh, I was about 10 years sober. I, I was really heavily involved in AA. And I thought um, I, I'd gone to counseling. I'd done all sorts of things. But there were just certain things that I could not shake. I went to the doctor. They got me on some medicine. And I personally... Um, I'm so glad that I did did that and I've been on it ever since. Now, you know, you have to make your own choice out there, whoever's listening. But uh, Todd, I really appreciate you sharing that. Uh, and it really resonated with me. Cole writes in, and it's K-O-L-E, just in case you're wondering how he spells his name. He says, hi, John, I'm from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and I'm very new to recovery. I'll be taking my third 30-day chip in mid-November. I went to my second treatment center in, in August. My first treatment center was in March, and I made it 32 days sober. 
and then I binged for five months. This time I made it to 49 days and I binged for three days. I have a better understanding of the AA program now, thanks to my temporary sponsor and I have started who has started taking me through the big book in depth. I just stumbled upon Sober Speak searching for podcasts in Spotify. He says, the first one that I listened to was Rich B, Surf Into Sobriety. And this is the one that I thought was coming up. If you have not re- listened to Rich B, just go back about three or four. He's got, he's got two episodes on here. And you'd be doing yourself a favor to listen to both. Even if you listen to him once already, you can go back and listen again. He's absolutely fantastic. I'm going to be having him on again real soon. But nonetheless, uh, the first one that I listened to was Rich B. Surf into Sobriety. I resonated right away with Rich because he is a surfer. And then he started describing how he hates banks and a lot of other institutions. So, uh, and Cole says, I've had yelling matches with bankers, telecommunication companies, the CRA, which is our version of the IRS, healthcare, and different government agencies. So I clicked right away with what Rich was talking about. Also, with... Also, with his outstanding warrants, I've had to deal with a similar issue for two years now, and it caught up to me again yesterday when I got a speeding ticket. So I'm very thankful for listening to your podcast right before that speeding ticket. Oh, no. He says, I'm excited to go back and listen to Rich's first one and many others. Thank you. Thank you again. (coughs) Excuse me, folks. And I look forward to hearing more. Take care, Cole M. Ah, excuse me one more time. I caught a little bit of something while I was uh, out traveling recently and uh, haven't been able to kick it yet. But nonetheless, um, thank you so much, Cole. I appreciate it. And I told you all, I had a lot, since I've been gone, I had a lot of uh, listener feedback to cut, catch up with here. So thanks for bearing with me. Blair E. writes in, not, not Blair E., Blair E., like, you know, Blair and then initial E right after that. He says, hello, John M. I live in a small town in northern New Mexico. I've had plenty of battles with alcohol in my 46 years of life. I have struggled with financial issues, legal issues, family issues, and health issues. Actually, the majority of my problems have been alcohol related from the very beginning of my drinking career. Eight years ago, I received my second DWI and I was mandated to go to AA meetings by the state of New Mexico. And for a short period of time, I did not drink. Unfortunately, that sobriety did not last. Today, I have a great job and I've been blessed with a home and nice things, but I know I am going down a dark path and my drinking is just out of control. And I, so I am currently seeking help because I am tired of how I feel and how concerned I will lose everything that I have worked so hard for. I heard your podcast on Spotify and I really enjoy the testimonies and I, that I have listened to. I also have gained some knowledge from listening to your podcast. Your podcast is a great guidance tool that I can utilize to get better myself, being that I have been only sober for 16 days at this point. Thank you for doing this podcast because not only 
is it full of motivation and sometimes even humorous, but it gives me a sense of hope knowing that I am not the only person with this disease. I have listened to over to your first 20 episodes so far and have appreciated each episode's Blair. Thank you, Blair. Sounds like you're on the right path. I really appreciate you. You just hang in there, my friend. Keep me posted. Last but not least, Scott writes in and he says, Hi, John. I stumbled across your podcast and I've listened to different speakers daily. I really listened to, I I really enjoyed, here's the name again, Rich B and Charlie P, which we just talked about on this episode. He says, I am a retired police officer from Champaign Silly, Silly, City, Illinois. I've been self-medicating with alcohol over 30 years with PTSD and childhood trauma. I'm creeping up on 90 days of sobriety and I attend weekly AA meetings. Thank you, Scott. Well, thank you, Scott. Thank you for writing in. All right, everybody, that is another week of Sober Speak. I, in all likely, will be back next week. God bless you. I take this one week at a time. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Love you guys. Bye-bye.